This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, turning our attention right now, though, to the question of uh, our drug laws and the consequences of prohibition and uh, whether a, a smarter approach can recognize not just the decisions of consenting adults, but can minimize harm. And maybe for a lot of drugs, uh, harm comes not from the drugs themselves, but as consequences of prohibition. Now, there's been a lot of talk about uh, marijuana, cannabis. Uh, obviously, we have a government in Ottawa that has pledged to legalize marijuana. They're certainly taking their time to get around to it, but we're told it's coming. Uh, but what about other drugs? Right? I think any conversation around any drug has to be about that particular drug what harm it poses, what addiction risk it poses, and whether it's comparatively, at least compared to other legal drugs, uh, safe. So how should we look at so-called psychedelic drugs? Well, some new research suggests uh, a form of legalization that almost looks in a lot of ways like harm reduction, where users would be able to obtain and use these drugs, but under supervised conditions. But making the argument, though, that these specific drugs do have relatively low toxicity and dependency risk. And again, that the harms associated with them are are more a consequence of prohibition. Well, joining us to talk a bit more about how we should approach these drugs and what we know about these drugs, very pleased to welcome to the program here today, Mark Hayden. He's an adjunct professor at the UBC School of Population and Public Health and is also chair of the board of MAPS Canada. That's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Professor Hayden, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Why, thank you, Rob. All right, how do we define, first of all, what a psychedelic drug is? Well, there's the classical psychedelics, which are... LSD, mescaline, psilocybin, and DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And then there's the empathogens, which are MDMA, MDA, and 3-MMC. And then there's the other ones, things like ibogaine. So um, psychedelic drugs break into a number of different classifications, depending primarily on what they do. Okay, well, and, you know, we have a tendency to to view all illicit drugs as illicit drugs, and we we tend not to break them down into categories or look at various drugs specifically on their own merits and harms and risks, et cetera. So what are the comparative risks, then, of of this classification of drugs? Well, all drugs need to be understood on three different scales of potential risk. There's the dependency potential, there's the toxicity, and then there's the behavior. So looking at the classical psychedelics, it's kind of interesting because I worked in the addiction services for 30 years and nobody ever walked in my office saying I can't stop taking LSD. The, uh, the dependency potential is essentially zero of the classical psychedelics. The toxicity of them is also incredibly low. Um, There's normally a one to six ratio for prescription drugs of benefit to harm. If you took six times the dosage that a doctor prescribed to you of a drug, you've probably done yourself harm. But with something like LSD, it's actually in the thousands. In fact, Albert Hoffman, who invented LSD, argued that it was one of the least toxic drugs on the planet. In fact, if you had tried to do thousands of dosages of water, you would kill yourself. So one could actually argue from a toxicity point of view that LSD is less harmful than water. (laughs) 
But so all of the harms, all of the harms with psychedelics come down to one thing, which is bad behavior. And so what we are proposing is that we develop a system that allows people to supervise others when they're taking psychedelic drugs. Now, that actually isn't a new concept because Aboriginal communities, there are many Aboriginal communities that have been using psychedelic drugs for centuries. The Huicho use of peyote, the Curanderos use of psilocybin mushrooms, the ayahuasca traditions in the Amazon are just three examples. And they've always had high level of supervision, supervision by adults woven into a community norms where they're used for either healing or spiritual purposes. And essentially what we're doing in our research is we're looking at how drugs and how these particular drugs have been used throughout history, and we're suggesting that we we borrow from the wisdom of the ancients. And so what would that look like in practice? Well, what we're proposing is a... So, so essentially, if you look at what's happening around the world and in Canada specifically, Drugs are slowly becoming legalized. Um, cannabis is becoming legalized in many states, and Uruguay and Canada will be the first G8 country on the planet to legalize cannabis. Heroin has just become legalized for prescription use for specific opiate dependency issues. So the wind of change is blowing, and we would like to do it well. What we're observing is that cannabis legalization is actually being done quite badly. And so what, we would, what we're observing is that as this discussion unfolds, we would like to plan it in advance and actually do psychedelic legalization well. So what it looks like is people could, certain professions could develop specialties. It it would essentially be a, a professional level of designation similar to doctors and veterinarians. And so it would be a professional job that would have a high level of training. It would be accountable to a college in the same way the doctors of the world are accountable to the College of Physicians and Surgeons, and they would provide psychedelic supervision. Now, within that category, there are, it breaks down into different streams. Psychedelic psychotherapy is one particular stream, and what we, I'm involved with a study looking at the effectiveness of PTSD treatment with MDMA, which is sometimes known as ecstasy, assisted psychotherapy, um, and we're targeting um, soldiers and police. And what we see is it's enormously effective, but it requires a very specific skill set. So psychedelic psychotherapist would be one skill set. Um, there would be other ones as well. You know, we would like to include the Aboriginal communities that have been doing these things for years. So running ayahuasca sessions could be another type of skill set within this community. All right, so it's a different kind of model. You're not necessarily proposing a system where I would just go down to my corner LSD store and pick up some LSD for the weekend. You're talking about maybe more of, of a group setting with, with licensed practitioners overseeing this. Am I well, understanding Well, licensed practitioners, and they would need to control for set, setting, and dosage issues. Set being the environment, setting or set being the expectations, setting being the environment, and understanding what dosages produce different effects. So they would have to manage the context of use for eight hours after ingestion. How they did it would be up to them. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios that they could, be, they could work with. An ayahuasca ceremony is completely different from a MDMA psychotherapeutic session. So it doesn't really matter what it looks like, just so long as safety is, is the issue and they're managing it for the entire length of the experience that somebody is having.
Now, one controversial aspect to this uh, is the suggestion maybe that this also be made available not just to adults but to youth as well. Well, we, we thought long and hard about that section, and we decided to eventually just tell the truth. Because what we looked at is many Aboriginal communities involve youth. Now, they involve youth in very, very specific ways. It's usually about celebration of transitions, puberty rights, and within the context of the community. But if I look at what doesn't work, is prohibition has never worked for youth. And so not including them would essentially have a prohibitionist model for youth and a non-prohibitionist model for adults. And so all of the problems of lack of supervision would manifest in the youth population. So what we said is youth could access it under very specific conditions, essentially a trained adult who had the specific training of how to work with youth would be allowed to provide that service, yes. Uh, but is it a, a different calculation when it comes to, to youth? I mean, we look at, at cannabis and we look at the relatively low risk uh, poses to adults, but amongst youth and developing brains, we see maybe a bit more of a risk and a concern that we try to keep it for adults. Does Do, do we see something similar with youth? Are those, those risks or the dependency risk, toxicity, are, are they higher for youth? Um, essentially, no. No, the dependency is essentially zero. No youth ever walks into an addictions counselor saying, I can't stop taking LSD. The toxicity is the same. Um, they, their, their bodies are not hurt from psychedelic drugs. And all of the risks come from behaviors. And so we need to manage the behavior around that. Now, these aren't things that people do frequently. Nobody ever wants to do LSD every single weekend. You know, these are things that people do infrequently. And so managing that um, in, a, in a context of supervision, which is guided by adults, is a logical and evidence-based approach. What is the appeal? I, I, I can't speak from personal experience. I've never tried a psychedelic drug. Uh, I mean, this, this research talks about the spiritual benefits, the possible therapeutic benefits. So what, what is the appeal? Well, they have been used, psychedelic drugs have been used for centuries, and it's usually one of two things. It's, it's usually within the context of a spiritual belief system. Now, admittedly, if you look at the ayahuasca spiritual belief systems, they're actually completely different from the peyote spiritual belief systems. They, 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 how they manifest in terms of the ritual and the ceremony and the belief systems and the, the details of the spiritual belief system varies widely. But spirituality is something the human species can do. And with certain triggers, it becomes poignant. And so spirituality is one theme that exists in many cultures. And the other theme is healing and, and the celebration of transitions. And, and the healing can range from physical issues to psychological issues, to community and relationship issues. So there's a whole range of different types of healing that psychedelics have historically always been used in. And so what we're proposing is that those, those ancient traditions be given legitimacy and be allowed to manifest in an evidence-based approach to increase the benefits and, and minimize the risks of psychedelic drugs. Right. Now, I, I certainly agree. I mean, the, the harms of a prohibition should be obvious. I think slowly things are, are moving towards smarter policy. But, but this still, I think, is going to seem to a lot of people like a, a radical concept. So how do you go about selling this idea? Well, essentially, I spent a lot of time on the podium talking about it. And, and I think that, I mean, the idea of cannabis legalization 10 years ago was a radical concept. So we're about four years away from having MDMA as a legal prescription drug within the context of the research that we're doing. 
So I'm involved, I'm the chair of MAPS Canada, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and our current research looks at the effectiveness of PTSD treatment, specifically MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And who we're hoping to engage is soldiers and police. So when people start to see that psychedelic drugs can be useful for healing of this particular population, then it really changes the discussion. And that's really our goal, is to demonstrate what can be done. And as we do it, what we're doing is our phase three clinical trial. So what that means is the last time you took a prescription drug, for a drug to be legal and prescription and available through your doctor, it has to have gone through stage one, two, and three clinical trials. And we've done our phase two, and we're now gearing up and planning for our phase three. When we finish that, MDMA will be a legal prescription drug in Canada for use of treatment for PTSD. There's another research group called Hefter, which is also going to legalize psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, for the treatment of end-of-life anxiety. And so we'll have, to, and that will happen in the United States. So what we're going to have in about four years is slowly through the prescription process, psychedelic drugs are going to become legal, and that completely opens the door to the research as well. So we, that, that is changing the discussion itself, but the larger discussion, essentially, the wind, is back by, the wind is to the back of the drug policy reformers as people start to promote evidence-based drug policies for all currently illegal drugs. Well, it's fascinating stuff. People can read more. Uh, MapsCanada.org uh, is the website for uh, Maps Canada, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Professor Hayden, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Rob. Oh, there you go. Uh, Mark Hayden, uh, adjunct professor, UBC School of Population and Public Health and chair of the board of MAPS Canada. So talking about the research they're doing. And right now it's about looking at how some of these drugs might have some therapeutic benefit uh, for PTSD or end-of-life anxiety or, or for others. And that perhaps down the road it might seem logical to, to look at some kind of legalization framework for these drugs. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's true. There, there's not a lot of consistency when it comes to our drug laws and what's legal and what's not, right? If you rank drugs on harm or toxicity, you'd be puzzled. Why is, why is that drug legal? Why is that one not? So I, I get the approach of looking at each drug individually and, and assessing it and what makes sense for a policy around that drug. But, um, you know, we've, we've done it a certain way for a very long time. It, it still seems like a radical concept. 403-974-8255 is a number. That's 403-974-TALK. Let's take a break here. We'll come back. We can talk a bit more about this. Got some other stuff to get to as well. You're listening to Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.